Hey everyone, welcome back to the Chaos Ball Podcast, your premier destination for hard-hitting MLB and Mariners analysis. No, I'm just kidding, y'all. Y'all know what it is. Welcome back. New microphone. Y'all like how it sounds? New mic. Hopefully it sounds a little bit better than my last mic. But I'm, I'm upgrading materials here, upgrading resources, and gaining knowledge all at the same time. But honestly, seriously... This mic does sound better than my last one for sure, so happy with this moving forward. Definitely got to upgrade my setup a little bit. Uh, But welcome everyone, thanks for tuning in to another installment of Is the Stove Hot? And let's start right off the bat, Is the Stove Hot? It's not quite as sizzling like fajitas like it was during the winter meetings, but it's still definitely hot to the touch, it would still definitely burn your hand a little bit. Uh, it's hot. A lot of guys are getting signed. This offseason has just been really fun. It's been very fun compared to a lot of the past offseasons in recent years. Uh, obviously, I went over that a little bit in the last episode about why that is, why that may be. But it's uh, it's interesting. It's fun. A lot of guys are signing like before we even hit 2023. So there's still a couple names on the board, obviously, but a lot of the big names have now kind of been signed, uh, and I'll go into that a little bit later in the pod, but right off the bat, I'm going to start doing this if I have reason to, uh, corrections from my last episode. Now, last episode, I said that Jesse Winker didn't do anything well last season. I was wrong for saying that. Uh, he actually did two things pretty well. One, he got on base quite well, and he managed a positive WRC plus despite hitting super poorly, which honestly is pretty crazy, but that shows how often he was getting on base, like walks, like he was one of the league leaders in the walks. So I don't want to sell him short there. He definitely got on base, uh, not as much with his bat. Uh, But the other thing he did well was fight the angels and he gave all his might. And he gave us some great content, Uh, specifically a screenshot of him flipping the birds to the crowd at Angel Stadium. Just fantastic stuff there. So shout out to Jesse Winker for that. Two good things from last season. Uh, And that's my my correction from last episode. Otherwise, I don't have any other corrections. So I'm just going to get into it. What what are we talking about today? Well, the environment of free agents has changed this offseason. Teams need to... To nut up or shut up, you know? Like the Blue Jays have a little bit. Like the Mariners. Like the Cleveland Guardians, Orioles, the Giants to an extent now. But they have, obviously. It's just, um, it's interesting. These, like, middle-ish market teams now, they gotta, I mean, they can pay like the big boys, but they kind of have to. Like, especially teams that I named that are kind of in a window of contention a little bit who have money to spend. Obviously the guardians, like their team is good. Definitely outpoint expectations this year, but we'll have more next year. And they're historically cheap franchise. The blue Jays have signed a couple guys this off season, obviously made a trade, but teams kind of like that are, are needing to, to put their money on the table where they, where they can, and it seems like like our Seattle Mariners absolutely do not want to do that for just interesting reasons. I don't know. It's it's been quite quite frustrating as a Mariners fan this offseason so far. It kind of went from like elated about the season, 
it wasn't even super mad about how the season ended because it was definitely a success all all around. And then we go into the offseason, we have all this optimism. There's like there's free agents available. They have money to spend, you know. They showed that they kind of want to do that, right? Extending Julio, extending Luis Castillo, uh, extending Andres Munoz, uh, you know. And then they come out and they don't do anything. They make a couple trades, as Jerry likes to do, that definitely improve the team. Uh, and then the winter meetings happen. That's kind of when things came crashing down in terms of vibes for the Mariners, I feel like. Because DePoto came out and said, obviously, he, like, they're basically not going to spend on free agents. Like, uh, it's just super frustrating to hear as a fan, especially with a team like this. Uh, but it's just, it's interesting uh, the different sides people are on in this. I think everyone across the board is pretty frustrated as a fan, especially. But uh, a couple things I would like to say. There's been a lot of talk about being, quote, sustainably competitive, where I think Jerry even said something along these lines where we want to be competitive for a long time. And obviously that's great. You have a lot of young talent. You've you've built up this young core really well. Jerry, hats off to him for doing that. Like the player development systems are there. They definitely invested big money into that, which is very evident uh, and a good staff and good training and all that. They've developed this young core of very solid players. You have a superstar outfielder who's an MVP caliber player, and you have a couple other guys who will be solid contributors to your team, above average players, at a very cheap rate for the next four or five years. That's a perfect recipe for competition and winning the World Series. The whole idea of that, in my opinion, and in a lot of other people's opinion, is you augment that young talent, young cheap talent that's good you augment that with free agent signings because generally teams coming out of a rebuild like this have some money saved up to spend and the mariners do and they've spent it a little bit like julio and those those extensions i talked about and taking on some bigger contracts like a teoscar you know but and signing robbie ray but they've saved a lot of money since 2018 since quote tearing it down as a fan even from like a baseball like competition perspective you'd expect them to go out and sign some free agents right to augment the young core with viable mob talent that will help you contend now the next couple of years and then from from then on you see you got to make decisions but the whole idea is to compete now with this young core that you're never going to have them this cheap ever again like these guys are on rookie deals right now like kirby gilbert cal Julio, obviously, you extended, but once those guys reach arbitration, they'll be more expensive, and then in four to five years, or even in between then, you're going to think about extending them, right? I don't know. It's it's just interesting. The, quote, the, the sustainably competitive talk is kind of just bullshit to me, and if, if you buy that, I, I think you're just buying into what the teams want you to believe, because... They're trying to run it as much like a business as possible with in hopes of winning as well. But their main goal is 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 running it like a business unless you're Steve Cohen, you know, and 29 MLB teams do not have the luxury of having Steve Cohen as an owner. Unfortunately, I just think being, quote, sustainably competitive and being cheaply competitive are the same thing. And I think that's what the managers are doing. Uh, And it's. It's not like they're not a good baseball team. It's just, again, the augmentation factor. You're, you're, 
this is like year two to three of contention window with a really young core. This is when you augment the roster with free agent talent, especially when you have money to spend. But they haven't done that, and it's it's very frustrating as a fan. Uh, one one thing I do want to say, shout out to Jake Mintz. Uh, he had this this quote from um, their podcast that they do. Uh, he said, quote, restraint will not win the day in the end. Talking about the free agent market and here on from here on out, basically. Like what the Mariners are doing, like restraint to not uh, tie up contracts, like bigger contracts in the future, even if they're really good players right now. Uh, I agree with Jake. I don't think restraint to not do that is going to win the day here. I think making free agent signings to make your team better right now will put us in a better spot to win the World Series rather than being a, a, a team on the cheaper side who's one of the better teams on the cheap side currently, but just frustrating. But I don't want to beat a dead horse. Everyone's kind of in the same camp at this point. Obviously, everyone's very split on how a team should spend the money, what players you like, what players you don't like. But I think everyone does agree any amount of free agent signings would have been good at this point. <laughs> like, the one signing we've made is Trevor Gott. And I'll, I'll read you the teams who have spent the most this offseason and where the Mariners land on that. It's just it's just quite upsetting. And real quick now, before I get into what's been going on on the hot stove itself, I'm going to talk about Arson Judge again. Um, one, I think we should bring this up at all times. I think Arson Judge should go up in the rafters of every MLB stadium. Uh, Arson Judge is a very important cultural moment for everyone involved, and I think we should talk about it more. But specifically, I didn't mention this on the last show because I didn't really think of it, uh, and it's pretty simple, actually. Arson Judge had to be a John Hammond Boris plant, right? I think there was a lot of talk about Judge going to the Giants the day before he signed with the Yankees, right? And... Everyone knows, like I, I expressed in my winter meetings edition of this, that John Heyman is, is just does Scott Boris's will, um, for you know for better or for worse, he's just a Scott Boris bird, on Twitter especially where he's like, oh they're rumored in this, they're rumored in that. I think Aaron Judge and him stirring up going to the Giants was a big Boris thing for for uh, John Heyman to do, and I think the Giants were generally like I think they made an offer to Judge. The Padres also made an offer to Judge, but I think the whole Aaron Judge to the Giants, big brain, John Heyman tweeted that because Scott Boris told him to. Now, you may think, oh, okay, so he tweeted Aaron Judge to the Giants, but he still messed up and said arson. No, I think Scott Boris, genius, big brain Scott Boris is like, no, John, that wouldn't be good enough. I need you to tweet arson judge like you tweeted a typo. That'll get more talk, and everyone will talk about arson and and Aaron, and then and then the next morning he'll sign with the Yankees, and I'll make a pretty penny. That's my theory, and I I'm sticking with it. I don't think arson was a mistake. That sounds uh, incriminating, so don't clip that and send it to anyone. But arson, John did it on purpose. Well, not him, obviously. Scott Boris told him to. But now let's get into some recent signings that have happened since I last potted. Um, the big one that happened, I want to say a couple days after I last released the podcast, was Kodai Senga. Signed with the Mets. Five years, $75 million deal. Not very much money. 
and I think it looks the Re it makes the Red Sox look that much worse for signing Masataka Yoshida for 105 million. Uh, I don't like to say overpay, but I do think that's generally an overpay for what the market thought he was going to get. It does include the posting fee, which I don't think Kodai has a posting fee, but it just makes the Red Sox offseason look a little bit worse, in my opinion. But Steve Cohen adds another piece to his passion project that is the New York Metropolitans. Uh, it's a good pitcher. Kodai, he throws gas. He's been dominating the Japanese league for a while now. I think he's going to be a good pitcher. Obviously, we never know exactly what uh, Japanese or like Korean prospect is going to look like in the MLB. We can project those things. I say we like I do any of that. Absolutely not. But we can we can project those things. But still, there's an era of of doubt where it's like, oh, you never know. I think at worst, he's going to be a good pitcher. And especially because he's not going to be asked to be their ace. Like he's going to be their, I don't know, number three, four, five, four, five, back of the rotation guy, uh, which is probably what's best. But good on the Mets. Good on Steve Cohen. Still spinning that paper. Uh, and then shortly after that, what happened? What happened? Sean Manaya to the Giants. Uh, two years, $25 million deal. I mean, this is like, okay. I like Sean Manaya. I don't think his career is quite gone, as many people expected. Uh, but he's a pitcher, so that's something. I think it's it doesn't exactly move the needle for me, but it's not like a bad signing or anything. Uh, it's just, you know, the Giants are spending money. They're trying to invest in the team, and Sean Mania will pitch innings for them. So that's all I have to say on that. Um, speaking of a team I talked about er earlier, the Blue Jays have signed Chris Bassett. To three years, $63 million, which at first glance, I was like, oh, shit, that's a lot of money for Chris Bassett. But then looking at the pitcher slash fragent market this season, that doesn't really seem too bad. Like 21 average annual value, that's really not that bad for a pitcher of Bassett's quality. Uh, and it definitely addresses some issues that the Blue Jays had last year. They Two really good starters, and then after that, kind of fell off a little bit. I think he slots in very nicely into that rotation and definitely improves the Blue Jays. I'm not a fan of him going to the Blue Jays myself. I liked him in the National League. I He was on the A's for a bit, and I just never liked facing him because one of those guys I feel like turns it on and, or turned it on against the Mariners. Uh, but he's also just a good pitcher that the Mets let walk and replace with Justin Verlander and Kodai Senga, so... Definitely helps the Blue Jays um, and the Mets. I didn't see resigning him. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they could have. Steve Cohen could sign. They could sign anyone at this point. They, they could sign Barry Bonds. They, they could sign Shohei. They could sign anyone at this point. But definitely a good signing for the Blue Jays uh, and the Mets. They probably don't care that he left and walked and went to the Blue Jays. So. Uh, other signings real quick that I wanted to say happened that I don't really have anything to say about. Christian Vasquez signed with the Twins uh, for three years. I don't really understand what the Twins' plan is, but we'll see what their roster looks like opening day and like what they're projected to do. I'm just like kind of I'm kind of confused as to what their entire plan is. But Ross Stripling signed with the Giants, and they signed him to. The same money as Manaya, two years, $25 million. I feel similarly about this and the Manaya signing for the Giants. It's like, okay, it's, I mean, it's good. They, they can pitch. Uh, Rush Jumping had a pretty good year last year. I just, going forward, 
I mean, two years makes a lot of sense to me. And I mean, he, he can he'll, he'll pitch in that Giants rotation. I feel like Giants are playing on upside here. If they get the best out of Mania, uh or Stripling, that's that's best case scenario for them. Because I think they can both be very, very solid pitchers. I just think they, they lose it from time to time. But that's kind of all pitchers when you really boil it down, isn't it, huh? All right, another eh signing. I mean, Trevor Williams went to the Nationals two years, $13 million. Shout out to Trevor Williams. Cool guy. Uh, Norris Syndergaard signing with the Dodgers. Michael Lorenzen signing with the Tigers. Brad Boxberger signing with the Cubs. A couple other ones happened that are less notable. Uh, like Kiermaier went to the Blue Jays as well. This defensive center fielder, you know, everyone knows what Kiermaier gives at this point. Now let's get into the big signings like I've talked about earlier a little bit. Like Mike Zanino. Mike Zanino, y'all. I kind of wanted to bring him back just for good old times uh, because I really, really like Mike Zanino and... In the words of Cespedes Family Barbecue, Mike Zanino is good. It is a fact. It is a well-known fact that he's good. Uh, definitely older now. I still think there's some pop in his bat, and his glove isn't going anywhere. It can still provide some value as a backup. Uh, and he's going to the Guardians. So the Guardians also signed Austin Hedges. So two solid defensive catchers. Obviously, Austin Hedges definitely, he's been talked about as, one of the better catchers for pitchers wise at like ever the past like five years basically like pitchers love love throwing the ball to Austin Hedges uh, but that's what the Guardians have done another huge signing Adam Frazier captain slapdick to the Orioles huge massive signing moves the needle I think it launches the Orioles into World Series f- favorites dare i say dare i say it no i'm just kidding this is like okay whatever it's mr mr soft hit ball mr slap captain slap dick himself i don't know this is like okay for the orioles just a one year one year deal i he's it's not like it's a super hitter friendly ballpark especially for a lefty so you know sure orioles go off adam well, uh, your tenure on the Mariners was unfortunately closer to what I anticipated than a lot of people anticipated, just not great. Uh, but you did give us, without a doubt, the most famous double in Mariners playoff history, bar none, obviously. Uh, and it w- you'll never, you know, you'll never take that moment away from him or us. So thanks, Adam, for that. That was really nice of you. After a year of turbulent, turbulent baseball from you, so another big signing that happened. Now these are these are the these are the actual big signings. I ain't I ain't kidding about this. Michael Brantley. Okay, no, this is the last one I'm kidding about. Michael Brantley. Uh, I'm just I wanted to touch on this because I wanted like a lot. I wanted like a lot of people wanted the Mariners to sign this guy, right? Good hitter, definitely old, but like has shown. Not a whole lot of signs of aging. Like, obviously, there's not as much pop in his bat, but that's not really his game. He gets on base. He gets base hits. He just gets on base at a higher clip than average. And he can still play in the outfield, too, if you need him to. He's probably predominantly a DH guy, but he can still play the corner outfield if you need him to a little bit, you know, kind of like a Nelson Cruz DH, a little bit outfield type guy, but definitely 
one, Mariners fans and me have been like, oh, he wouldn't cost so much money as a veteran. One-year deal like this, maybe try to bring him aboard. But he resigns with the Astros. And who's to say he didn't just want to be there? I'm I'm assuming he just wanted to stay in Houston. I mean, they just won a World Series, and he was hurt too, so he didn't really get to participate in that. So he just wants to run it back, and I can respect him for that. I think uh, I think just like oh, it was just one year, twelve million. We could offer him one year, fourteen million, and get him. It's like I don't know. It sounds like he just wanted to stay in Houston, and there's not much you can really do about that one. But now, 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 now I'm really, I'm really getting down to the big boys. This is the first big name, I'll say, uh, of the signings that have happened. J.D. Martinez, another guy people thought would uh, maybe come to the Mariners because there was a picture on his Instagram of Pike Place. And it's like, ah, remember when Stroman was eating at, I think it was Canlis, like last year in Seattle. And everyone's like, oh, no, they're signing Stroman. Let's go. And then he signed with the Cubs. J.D. signs with the Dodgers. Still a solid hitter, uh, one-year deal, definitely aging, but DH, again, can play a little outfield. Op- I mean, optimally, he should be full-time DH, and he's still an above-average hitter by all metrics, basically, at least last year, and going to this year, he projects to do similar stuff. What's really interesting is I, I was digging into stat head for some stats for the bigger guys later in this episode, but J.D. Martinez was first in doubles in the last two seasons in MLB. Isn't that interesting? Second is Devers. So hitting into that right center gap or off the off the monster definitely assists that a little bit, but Dodger Stadium is huge and definitely lends itself to doubles in the gap. So look out for double man JD Martinez. Now we'll 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 kick off the big big money signing. And the first one on the list is Carlos Correa to the Giants. 13 years, $350 million. Hot damn, Giants. They didn't get Judge. They weren't going to re-sign Rodon. But man, did they make a splash and got a great player. Probably the best shortstop available. Uh, 28, the youngest as well. 13 years, $350 million. That's a lot of years. But again, the average annual value is not, it's like 25. That's not that bad. Not that bad for Carlos Correa uh, and I, or the Giants, really. And I tweeted about an article that was written in Fangraphs about um, why the, the length of contracts are different this offseason and longer. Super interesting. Definitely navigate to Chaos Ball at Chaos Ball 1977, the Chaos Ball podcast on Twitter. Uh, go look at go look at my links, and it's it's linked in there. But it's a great article, uh, definitely because partly because of the economic climate that the whole country's in right now. But there's there's interesting reasons that Ben Clemens goes over in that article about why the deals are longer and why it just makes a lot of sense to have longer deals right now. And it does it does make a lot more sense. So good for the Giants. They got a man who offensively very very solid offensively he's a very solid player and defensively he's been one of the better defenders at shortstop uh since he's come up to the major leagues and the only really issue with him has been health and he put together a pretty healthy season last year and he's only 28 so they got themselves their franchise cornerstone for the next decade uh, and he's a really good one i well, i would have loved the mariners to throw this much money at carlos correa but 
he goes to the Giants, and I think he'll he'll do well in the Bay. And man, they'll love him down there, especially the Dodgers fans. Oh, they'll boo the shit out of it. They already booed him so much to begin with, too. But that'll be fun, and good on the Giants. Open up their purse after whiffing on Arson Judge, you know. But that was the third domino of the big four shortstops to fall. And what happened next was Dansby Swanson signs with the Cubs. A surprising deal. Seven years for $177 million. So very similar average annual value to the other shortstops. But just four less four less years than Xander and Trey and f- five or six less six less years than Correa. Uh, similar value, but man, seven years. I mean, this is good for for the Cubs and good for Dansby. He gets gets a lot of money to go play for the Cubs as their main shortstop, I presume. And uh, I think. Uh, once his contract's off the books in seven years, he'll be like late thirties. He'll definitely, if he wants to, keep playing unless he completely falls off a cliff, which I doubt. He'll keep playing and play have another couple contracts potentially after that after his age thirty six, thirty seven season. Um, Cubs definitely wanting to invest this season a little bit. They're kind of coming out of. A rebuild like kind of they got some young pieces that have just kind of looked like league average players but they do have like I like Chris Morrell uh they signed Jamison Tyone who's good they still have Stroman on the books uh they got Nico Horner who I'm assuming will move to second base I think Nico Horner one of the most underrated guys in the league right now he's really good and going forward that's probably the best defensive middle infield in the league with Dansby at short and Nico Horner at second uh, and it's it's interesting up there in Cubs land because I feel like we haven't thought about them in a bit since they won the World Series, but they make a ton of money. It's a big market. Uh, Wrigley pulls in a ton of money, and, and so the Cubs will always have money to spend, right? Uh, and they invested in a shortstop, uh, I think comfortably fourth ranked, obviously, out of the four shortstops that were available. But I I think people are thinking the gap is a little bit bigger than it actually is because Dansby definitely I think he's the best defensive shortstop of this group you can make a case for Correa maybe but the numbers support Dansby especially after past couple seasons he's had and last year was really his first above average like notably above average offensive season but his his hard hit rates his barrel rates and like his offense his raw offensive numbers have been trending upwards the past like three or four years I, I said it before, but I don't think he's going to sustain the kind of things he was doing last season. But if he's just a little above average hitting-wise and one of the best defensive shortstops in the league, that's value for for a team that needs, uh, needs it. So I think the Cubs really wanted a shortstop. I remember they were one of the teams that was like, they're going to be in this market with the other eight or nine for those four guys, and, and they got one. So... Good on him, uh, and good for Dansby going to get paid. And I think he'll honestly, he'll look great in the Cubs jersey. I'll say it. And then Chicago, the other team, let's go to the south side, the White Sox. They signed Andrew Benintendi. Five years, $75 million. Uh, not a huge deal. I think a deal the Mariners definitely could have done. Um, not going to harp on it, but a deal the Mariners definitely could have done. 
But Benintendi is a good signing for them. He kind of has reinvented himself in the past couple of years. He has cut strikeouts significantly. He gets on base more. He plays solid defense. Just a good, solid corner outfielder and a lefty bat for the White Sox. And definitely an upgrade in their corner outfield, like defensive-wise. Like, he is not like a super, super good defender, but he can definitely play the position better than what they've had in recent years. And the White Sox clearly still trying to capitalize on their young core of guys who is now kind of aging. It's kind of felt like the contention window for this White Sox core is come and gone, but not quite. I mean, they still got, you know, Giolito, uh, Robert, Eloy Jimenez, Tim Anderson, uh, Dylan Cease. They lost Jose Abreu, obviously, but uh, they signed Benintendi, and we'll see if they try to nab any of the other uh, free agents still on the board or potentially a trade. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the White Sox are trying to do. New manager as well, so fresh start. White Sox might be one of those like make it or break it teams next year where they, I don't know what they will be projected at, but I could make a case for way over or way under depending on what the situation looks like. But definitely getting Tony La Russa out of there was an upgrade. So they signed Benintendi, and that was kind of the last outfielder, like top end outfielder. I guess Michael Conforto might go for similar money. He's still out there. But it was kind of him and uh, Benintendi and Nimmo, kind of the top two in my opinion. Uh, and the Mariners didn't get either of them. You know, seems like they're just not going to sign any free agents. But again, won't harp on that. That is just what's going to happen. And the last signing that I want to get to here is Carlos Rodon to the Yankees. Great signing by the Yankees. I think he'd been linked to the Yankees for a while. It seemed like it was, um, you know, New York, either the Mets or the Yankees or back to the Giants. And I just didn't seem like the Giants wanted to re-sign him for whatever reason uh but great pitcher fantastic pitcher i do have some good stats on carlos rodon first of all this isn't a stat i know he basically says he does kind of what matt brash does he kind of just throws as hard as he possibly can especially with his fastball one of the more effective fastballs in the league uh, and he's one of the better if not the best lefty pitcher the past two seasons of the mlb there's obviously a case to be made there couple other very good ones, but definitely top-tier starter. Uh, him and Garrett Cole is one of the best one-two punches in the league. And the Yankees augment this this team with, with another really good pitcher. Obviously, they lose Tyone, but they add Rodon, which is a net upgrade, if I say so myself. And it's not like pitching was a weakness for them. Uh, this is why I love the signing by the Yankees. It's not only that Rodon is one of the best pitchers in the league, but they didn't necessarily need a pitcher. Uh, they have other needs on the teams, like field, like in the in the lineup wise. But they saw the opportunity and they upgraded a strength they already have, which is not necessarily a bad thing, especially for a team that's not a shoe into the playoffs, but one of the favorites coming out of the American League next year probably and. That's a very scary rotation to face in the playoffs. Uh, and whether it's Cole or Rodon, number one, I think that's going to be really interesting to watch this season is 
I don't think either of those guys considers them the number two in the rotation. I think they're both probably going to be like, no, I'm, I should be the game one starter, and we'll see what happens. Maybe the Yankees just completely whiff on the playoff, and Aaron Judge falls off a cliff after it comes out. He's been taking steroids for a while. Um, you know, what an interesting time that would be. But uh, good signing. Good signing for the Yankees. Uh, and it's six years, $162 million for him. So six, I don't know. I don't know what his age curve looks like, but Rodon might be one of those guys who doesn't age quite well, but they'll definitely get some good value out of the first two, three years of that deal. And then the stats I wanted to say was the last two seasons, Rodon is, is first in the league among starters uh, in strikeouts per nine with 12.2. And in that same span, the last two seasons, he's seventh in ERA and fourth in WAR among starting pitchers. So, getting one of the best starters of the past few years and projects to be one of the best starters in the league for the next couple of years. So, Yankees got a good man there, obviously. And then that is kind of it for the free agent signings that I wanted to talk about. But now there has been a big trade in the past couple of weeks since I released the podcast. Sean Murphy has been traded to the Braves. And I'll go into the players in this deal. So the Braves obviously got Sean Murphy from the A's. And they gave up uh, William Contreras and Manny Pena. And then minor league pitchers Kyle Muller, Freddie Tarnock, Royber Salinas, and Justin Yeager. Uh, And it was a three-team trade, obviously. Brewers and A's also involved. And what the Brewers got from this was uh, William Contreras and then minor league pitcher Justin Yeager from the Braves, and then Joel Payamps from the A's. And all they had to give up was Estuary Ruiz, who was one of their top prospects, who's kind of a utility guy, but projects to be a very good player. And then what what the A's got, they got Manny Pena from the Braves, a catcher, great catch, not a great, well, good catcher, good catcher. Uh, and then the Estuary Ruiz, and then Kyle Muller, Freddie Tarnock, and Roy Bersalinas from the Braves. And all they had to give up was Sean Murphy and their pitcher, Payamps, that went to the Brewers. So the Brewers get William Contreras and two minor league pitchers. And all they had to give up was one prospect, like albeit a good prospect, but they got one of the better offensive catchers from last year, William Contreras, and then a couple minor league pitchers who might be useful to them too. So... I really think the Brewers won this trade. They didn't give up that much. Who I think lost this trade is the A's. The A's got Manny Pena, who's fine. He's a good catcher. I mean, they have Shea Langoliers already, so I don't know. And they got Estuary Ruiz. He's a good prospect. But I would expect another blue-chip guy like that to come back in a trade for Sean Murphy, who's one of the best catchers in the league. I just don't think it's a very good trade for the A's. I never think this is a good trade for the A's, obviously, because it's a classic one. They develop a very good, very good player, and then they trade him. It's the A's model. I just think they could have gotten more back in return. I mean, obviously, I'm not a trade artist. I'm I'm only a, a simple man with a podcast, but I see the A's as the loser in this trade. And I see the Braves winning, obviously. They got Sean Murphy, so that definitely helps. Sean Murphy, one of the best catchers in the league, and and it's not like he's their only catcher. Travis Darno has silently been one of the best catchers in the league the past couple of years on both sides of the ball, like offensive and defensive. He's been so consistent, so consistently good. So they have two of the better catchers in the league, and 
great. Like Sean Murphy's one of the better defensive guys, particularly framing and like arm strength. And Darno's still pretty good and and can mash. And Sean Murphy has a lot of power. So great trade for the Braves. I mean, they gave up William Contreras, but again, he was kind of a surplus. And Manny Pena, both were kind of a surplus on the team when you look at it from this perspective. So definitely a great trade for the Braves. I think good for good trade for the Brewers. I'm still confused at kind of what the Brewers are doing. I, I can see the vision of kind of not a rebuild, but a restructure. Uh, but the A's lose this trade, in my opinion. So A's fans, I'm sorry that you have to deal with this. And when you move to Vegas, I'm sure I'll start hating your moves because you might actually start signing good players and maybe extending some of your best players that you develop. Wouldn't that be crazy? Be a, That's a crazy concept. I know, I know. Billy being rolling over in his grave. But no, it's a blockbuster trade that uh, well, not the teams were not expected to happen, but Sean Murphy was going to be traded this offseason. It was just to who and for how much, and I just don't think it was enough to be quite honest with you. So, and that is the trade that happened since then. So now get down to the real business, the Mariners business, huh? Let's get down to some Mariners baseball. What have they been up to? Spoiler alert. Not much guys, not very much. Uh, they signed Casey Sadler to a minor league deal, which is nice. I'm very happy about that. Hopefully he can get back to the bigs and, if he's even a little bit like he was in 2021, oh boy, watch out. God, he was so good. I'm um, really glad they brought him back. I was worried they would just let him walk, but brought him back in a minor league deal, so hopefully we'll see him back up soon. And then we signed Tommy Malone again, left-handed pitcher. He was on the team uh, Rainiers last year, I guess. I mean, this doesn't do much for me. I think he'll probably see some time in the bullpen this this year up at the major league level just because he's a lefty. Otherwise, I, it doesn't move the needle for me quite as much. I mean, he was kind of the ace of the Rainiers last year, him and Justice Sheffield at the front of that rotation. Both of those guys I don't really see contributing very meaningfully to the major league club besides the fact that they throw from the left side, uh, which is something the Mariners could still address in free agency, but I doubt they will. So... That's what the Mariners have been doing. Again, not much. And now I have some things to talk about. Let's talk about a couple guys. Uh, like what, what the Mariners could do from here. A passion of mine is the Mariners should re-sign Nelson Cruz to a one-year deal just because, one, we need a backup. Uh, we need just backup for DH or lineup in general. We need a guy like like Nelson Cruz, who would also do great in the clubhouse, might I add, and have some some stately old baseball man wisdom to impart on all these young fellas. Uh, and then another guy who's similar uh, in age, but not of like not a similar person at all. Zach Granke. Let's sign Zach Granke. Screw it, Jerry. Come on, give him some money. If the plan is to get rid of Flexen or Marco or just get rid of one of the two, uh, and you don't want to end up with Marco Reflection as your number five, and you want them to be a number six starter, a long relief, an opener, I don't know, what have you, a bullpen guy, who whatever. Zach Granke is available and would be, honestly, I think, a perfect five in a rotation. He had a very good year last year, and I don't think people realize it. 
And Zach Granke is just a good pitcher and has been for a very long time. Uh, last year, he I mean, he put up a 3.68 ERA, 137 innings, and 73 strikeouts and 27 walks. He doesn't walk a lot of guys. He doesn't strike out a lot of guys. He'll induce a lot of soft contact. He, he really doesn't throw very hard anymore, but he has good movement on his pitches. He can really locate his pitches. Um, very, very cool pitcher to watch if you really enjoy different style of pitching because he, he does the Johnny Cueto, Nestor Cortez. He really messes with your timing a lot too. That's part of his game. He really keeps hitters off balance really well. He's also just a really weird and funny dude who I would love to root for on my baseball team. He's been one of my favorite guys to watch in my entire life of baseball just because he's so interesting and different and also just a good pitcher. Since 2018, which that was his age 35 season, he's 39 now, uh, he's seventh in innings pitched since then among starting pitchers with 791 innings. And at that age, that's pretty crazy. Um, he's in that time, he's fifth in walks per nine with 1.6. He's 13th in war with 14.3. And that was 2018 when he was 35 until now 39. Those are great numbers, especially compared to the rest of the league where he's at. And I think he can still contribute. A team will definitely give him a contract, a one or two year deal. I think it should be the Mariners, especially if they're moving flexing. It should be the Mariners, man. Just do it. That'd be an awesome dude to root for. Awesome guy to be the number five starter who would definitely still be good. The The craziest thing about Granky is his durability at this age. It's like, it's not obviously on the caliber of Verlander or like Scherzer, I guess, but Scherzer's been less durable the past couple of years. But, but man, Zach Granky, very durable. It really surprised me to look that up since 2018. He's seventh in innings pitched among qualified starters. Like that's, that's crazy. That is, that's crazy for a dude of that age. Uh, definitely in part to how he takes care of his body, how he treats the game of baseball, and how he throws. He doesn't throw super hard. He, very different style. Very different style of pitcher. One who I would love, love to root for. So, Jerry, I know you're listening, and I know the pockets aren't deep, but I'll crowdsource the money for Zach Granke. I'll do it. And this is, you know, this is just a fun little signing you can make. You know, just, just, just do it. Just do it, Jerry. Uh, now, now, what am I going to talk about? Everyone cover your ears because I'm going to talk about the Mariners left field situation. And I've talked about it a little bit last episode. I probably talked about it in episodes prior, um, when I was more optimistic about what the Mariners might do in free agency. But as it stands right now, the left field is a platoon between Jared Kelnick and Dylan Moore, which I'm not super pleased about myself currently, especially because there's options out there. There's plenty of options out there to fill the hole holes because I don't, I love Dylan Moore I, and Haggerty as well. I don't want either of them to be the shoe in starting right-handed left fielder. And I absolutely don't want Kelnick to be a shoe in left-handed hitter outfield left fielder. I don't want it's crazy to me that guys are still this optimistic about Kelnick. I do get it. He's still very young. And I don't think he's done as an MLB player. I just don't. He hasn't shown me much of anything these past two years to sh- to tell me that he's going to be a consistently 
good MLB player, even a consistently average MLB player. He doesn't he hasn't showed me any of that. He shows me that he might be a rakes in AAA and doesn't quite put it together at the major league level guy. He still kind of has the top prospect sheen, but this is the last year of that. This is the year where if he does what he's been doing the past two years, that top prospect sheen is over. It's gone. It's it's after that, it's, oh, he's a potential guy the Rays could probably get and turn into a decent player. It's one of those where we I don't want him to be the starter. I just don't. And it's not like I'm just screaming that into the void as we enter the year with no options of replacement. There's plenty of options. I've talked about Will Myers extensively, how how well that would work. Jerickson Profar, too. I'm not going to go too deep into it, but like Will Myers would make perfect sense. He's he's very similar to Mitch Haniger, like money and player wise, and it wouldn't take it. So it wouldn't take that much. Mitch got what three years, forty three million. The Mariners have that money for Will Myers, you know. But if they don't choose to go the free agent route, which I don't think they will. Oh, and I want to say, Cade Marlowe, I'm assuming will be up in the majors this year and probably get some time in left field, which I'm excited about. I'm a Cade Marlowe stan, but again, I need to rely on viable MLB guys. And I'm not talking about AJ Pollock. AJ Pollock's a name that's been thrown around on Mariners Twitter the past few weeks. And I'm, I'm in favor of signing AJ Pollock because at this point I'm in favor of signing anyone to play left field. And AJ Pollock has shown he can still hit left-handed pitchers. And I think it'd be a fine signing. Uh, but it's just not ideal for what could have been this offseason and what still could be, what still could be. It's just, it's depressing that, I don't know, they're sticking, they they might just stick with Kelnick, which I don't get. I still don't understand. I'm I'm very pro trading him while his value is still, it's obviously not where it was, but again, the top prospect pedigree, the sheen, that shininess, it's still kind of there. And I think you can definitely get something in a trade for him. And talking about trades, Brian Reynolds has been a name that has been thrown around a lot. He has apparently requested a trade. The Mariners, seeking an outfielder, obviously are one of the teams that has been linked to trades with him, and especially because we have a GM who is addicted to making trades. And Brian Reynolds is a very good player, and I would be pro trading for him. I want to get that on the record. I am for trading for Brian Reynolds, uh, especially if, I don't know. I don't know what the deal would look like. I will talk about that. But first I want to talk about Brian Reynolds, the player. He's a great player. He's a fantastic outfielder. He's a very above average outfielder uh, with, with three more years of team control, which is part of that value and part of why the trade package will be a little bit more steep. Because it's not like we're trading for Teoscar, who uh, is a free agent after next season. We're trading. We'd be trading for a guy we'd have basically guaranteed on the team for the next three years, which is super valuable. Why is it valuable too? Is because he's a really, really good baseball player. Since 2019, when Brian Reynolds made his debut, he's ninth among qualified outfielders in runs created, and he's 20th in OPS plus and 13th in war among all outfielders since 2019. That is one of the best outfielders in the league. (laughs) He is one of the best outfielders in the league, bar none. All right, he's not the best. 
He's not the flashiest, but he's a very above-average baseball player, particularly in the outfield. And can he play left field? Yes, he can. He can play all the outfield positions. He's played center for the Pirates. He will play left field for us if we trade for him. And what would a team trading for him look like? What would the Mariners trade for him look like? It would be steep. I played around on the trade maker for a bit a couple weeks ago when this trade was happening. I tweeted some out. It would take it would take an Emerson Hancock in the deal, potentially a Harry Ford in the deal, along with like Kelnick, Brash. They they might ask for Gilbert or Kirby, which I'm not in favor of, but I think like Brash, Hancock, Kelnick, Harry Ford, one of the other prospects down there, Robert Perez, like a Bryce Miller, uh, a Prelander Baroa, like it's going to take a lot to get him. And like I said, he's a very good player with three years of team control. So it makes sense that it would take a lot to get him. Uh, but again, I think it would really improve the team and it would make a lot of sense fit wise on this team. So it will take a hefty package and I'm sure people will be upset about it if the trade happens, but I would rather focus on the good that he could do for the team and that being said, I don't know if they're going to trade for him. Maybe the Mariners are just going to stand firm where they are right now. So that's something. But now as we wind down this episode, let's get into something I want to talk about. And it's who's been spending the most in free agency. And comparing where the Mariners stand in that conversation. So right now, payroll-wise. Committed payroll for next season, 2023 total payroll. So this is their payroll and then what they've retained. So that might be like for the Mets, they're still paying Robinson Cano a little bit of money and some other guys. Um, but total payroll, everything added together for next year. And this is not luxury the luxury tax either. This is just payroll. This is just what they're playing, paying the guys. So the Mets are obviously the first and then, you know, Yankees, Phillies, Dodgers, Padres. Where are the Mariners? 18th. 93 million coming in next year. And it is worth saying one of we're one of the higher payroll, like future commitment payroll teams, right? But right now there's there's a lot of room. Uh and it's interesting. Uh a Carlos Correa contract would have catapulted us into uh like fourteenth in payroll. We could have signed like Nimmo and Xander and we'd be ninth, eighth. Like that's the room we're working with here. And then looking into who spent the most. And I don't really like that term because it's not like they've spent this money. It's more they've committed this money. I'll call it commitments. <laughs> These are the teams who've committed the most money this offseason. The Yankees have committed $573 million over the next however many years to four guys so far this offseason. So that's a lot of money. The Giants have spent or committed a lot. The Mets obviously have signed the most for agents, committed a lot of money. All the way down at the bottom is the Mariners who have committed 1.2 million dollars this offseason. Boy is is that depressing. Ugh, it's just so frustrating. And I'm not going to harp on this anymore. I just wanted to say that. And it's it's depressing to look at that the payroll is mid. 
and we've spent one million on free agents this offseason. Like, I didn't expect them to make a huge splash after Jerry's comments leading into the offseason a little bit. But I obviously, like everyone else, expected them to be a little bit more active than signing Trevor Gott to a one-year, one-million-dollar deal, you know? Especially because, like, it seems every team is spending a good amount of money. Not every team, obviously, but all the contenders are spending a good amount of money. Even the Rangers, man. Even the Rangers are spending decent money. The A's even have committed more money than us this offseason, I think. They've committed like some $30 million over the next however many years to like a couple guys so far. And it's like, man, really? The A shouldn't be above us in anything. What are we doing? What are we doing? Ugh. And then and then some stuff came out this week that's like Jeff Passan called Mariners fans greedy. I like Passan, but you're wrong, buddy. We're not greedy. Wanting the team to sign for agents in a window of contention to cap capitalize on the young core that we have is not a greedy thing to want. It's rational as a fan to want your teams to sign players, Jeff. All right, so I like your work, but just, man, that was a tough comment to hear. Not that it, like, hurt me in any way. It's just like, really? You think we're greedy for wanting any of this? Like, it's not like at this point we're asking for the world. We're asking for literally anything. We're asking for scraps. Like, you know, people uh, before the French Revolution, the most of the country who was poor were probably called greedy for wanting more, Jeff. And then look what happened. Were they greedy? No, they just wanted something. They wanted something more than what they're currently getting. And good God, it's it's something we need is a free agent just to just to feel something, you know. But the the greedy, greedy stuff was unfortunate. And then other unfortunate stuff was on the. Uh, Seattle Times podcast with Ryan Divish and Larry Stone. Shout out to those two gentlemen. Uh, Ryan Divish was talking about the perceived, uh, not vibes, but how Depoto and Service and the organization is perceived in the league. And I don't know how I'm. I don't know how much stock to put into Divish's sources. Obviously, he knows more about the baseball world than most of us as a beat writer. Um, and I don't know how many people have said this. I don't know how many people think this, but. The quote was, Depoto and Service, they've made a lot of enemies around baseball. There's a lot of people who want to see them fail, even within their own organization, for how they've treated other people. Uh, it's tough to hear that. Very tough to hear that, especially at two men who are pretty good at their jobs. And I like Scott Service. I have no real big opinion of Jerry Depoto personally, but I like Scott Service a lot. Very tough to hear if that is even a sliver of truth, which it definitely there's some something to that. Uh, and maybe some free agents don't want to sign here because of that reason. Uh, obviously, that's not a good scapegoat for not signing free agents, but I hope it's not largely true that they think that and have, and have made enemies, a lot of enemies in the industry, because uh, that definitely hampers, you know, a lot of trades you could make. A lot of free agents could hear that and be like, oh, I don't want to play there. Or other players, if they've been treated poorly by DePoto or Service, word gets around and that's not a very good thing, and I hope it's not super true. Obviously, there's a little bit of truth to it. I just don't know to what extent. Is um, it's not like Divish, you know, named names or said how many people have said this, but he said they've made a lot of enemies around baseball. A lot of enemies around baseball, which is not something you want to hear at all. 
And then I do want to end with shouting out to John Troopin, writer for Look at Landing, the SB Nation Mariners blog. He wrote a fantastic article that came out today. Uh, it's about this, the Mariners situation in general. Uh, please go read that. It's a fantastic piece. He really does a good job kind of synthesizing all of our feelings, uh, why the Mariners have been doing this, why it's not a good idea of about what they're doing, about what they're doing is kind of a mistake. Uh, and he goes really in detail, clearly a lot of work done in this article, and he's a fantastic writer. So go read that uh, if you can. And it might make you feel a little bit better about the Mariners situation that there is a prominent Mariners writer uh, criticizing the team openly, which is good. That's what the media is for. That's what like free speech is for. It's what sports journalism is partly for, especially if you cover a, a sports team, specific sports team. Criticizing the team for actions you see and can back up as a mistake or just not good. Uh, that's what journalists are for, and he did a fantastic job, and I think there needs to be some more Seattle Mariners-based journalism like this that's openly criticizing what the team is doing right now because they deserve some criticism, absolutely. And not just the team itself, front office, but John Stanton obviously um, will and has been getting his fair share of hate online, but... This was really, really good and a really good article. Uh, it's not an especially short read. He goes really in detail about a lot of different stuff, but it's very, very good. So go read that on Lookout Landing. Uh, but that's about all I have for you today. So thank you guys for listening. Please rate and review wherever you're listening. Recommend us to your friends. Uh, please hit me up. Uh, my emails in my Twitter if you want to ask any questions interact with me on Twitter. It's pretty fun. Uh, and thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the new mic going forward, but, uh, most importantly, have a good rest of your weeks, have a good holiday season and go Mariners.